Good morning, church. How we doing? I got an excellent, I got a good, nothing from the center section, though. How you doing? Outstanding, great. Glad we are not outstanding in the snow mush that's happening. There's like a big slushy happening outside. I love it. It's great. Uh, welcome back to church. It is good to see all of you, at least half of your faces this morning. Uh, my name is Justin Craig. I am the executive minister here at the church. And today we are completing our two-week break on the series of Nehemiah. We are talking about this theme of rebuilding. In our series of Nehemiah that Pastor Randy has been going through, he's been talking about the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. And now we're talking about the rebuilding of God's people Last week we talked about rebuilding our love and how we are sent out as ambassadors of love. And so today we are going to continue that theme of rebuilding. If you have your scriptures, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Not giving you verses because we're reading most of it, so buckle in. It's going to be great. Paul writes this letter around 60 to 62 A.D., and the purpose for him writing this letter is for two reasons. One, he wants to proclaim the supremacy of Christ. You can see that theme all through this letter. If you take just a half hour this afternoon and read the entire letter, you will see that Paul is proclaiming the supremacy of Christ but Paul is also urging Christians, urging Christ followers to lead godly lives. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, this is what God's word says. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its creator, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Boy, that would be a great place to stop, but we're not done. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word for us today. Today, I want to talk about rebuilding community. I want to talk about rebuilding healthy community. You see, we've probably all experienced our fair share of good community and not so good community. This past weekend, uh, I was able to hang out with a group of guys. Uh, A few of them you might recognize as former staff members here. Some of these friends I have known for 20 years, and this was a beautiful example of good community. We got together to celebrate our friend Brandon is getting married in a month, and so we got to celebrate with him as our brother gets, gets married. And as we swapped stories and enjoyed time together, while my body is exhausted, my soul was rejuvenated and refreshed with this crew. This was an example of good community, but bad community. Bad community will never, will never leave us feeling refreshed but drained. Bad community will leave us feeling empty, burdened, and sometimes we can leave feeling quite distant and removed. You see, we've spent a significant amount of time over the last 18 months being separated, being distant, being isolated. And in that time, I believe that we have moved beyond the physical isolation. I believe that we have not just become physically distant, but also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually distant with one another. And now I think it's fairly obvious that the structure of community in our culture is based around superficial interactions. Where depth is lacking, truth is absent, and authenticity is rare. We have become a culture that is quick to argue, quick to anger, and quick to answer with our two cents. Rather than a culture that listens, empathizes, and genuinely cares for one another. We've started to look more like critics than we have community. And I'd love to be able to pass the blame off on social media. That would just be wonderful, an easy scapegoat. I'd love to be able to pass it off on social media as it is far less social than the name implies. But the real responsibility of the downfall of healthy community in our culture is the lack of Jesus that we bring into our community. We are far more interested in bringing in our expertise, our opinions, our podcasts, and our recent discoveries than we are at bringing in the love of Christ. Think with me for a moment what our workplace would look like if we brought in the attributes of Jesus with us every day. What would our schools look like if we learned and taught with the humility of Christ? What would, what would our households look like if we brought in the patience and peace of Christ? What would our neighborhoods and teams look like if we carried with us the kindness of Jesus? What would our backyard barbecues, coffee shop conversations, what would our churches look like if we carried in less of us and more of Jesus? You see, rebuilding community is the process of bringing the grace and truth of Jesus everywhere we go. And in our scripture this morning, Paul talks about three commitments that every Christ follower needs to make in order to rebuild community. Three commitments. 
The first commitment comes in the first 14 verses. Paul spends a significant amount of time here. This is a commitment to total transformation through Christ. You see, before Paul gets to speaking about community, he first talks about the essential transformation of the individual through Christ. Paul identifies the struggles that become enemies of a healthy community. Here we have the contrast of the old self, the the pre-Jesus life, and then the contrast with the new self and the Jesus-filled life. Paul talks about the old and new self, not just here in Colossians, but also maybe more famously in 2 Corinthians 5.17. When he writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But here in our scripture this morning, Paul uses the terms put to death. And and put them all away as he addresses our need for total transformation through Christ. Because the old self and the new self are not compatible. See, transformation is not just a nice, moralistic, behavioral change, but it is a complete change from the old to the new. There needs to be a personal commitment to move from the old self to the new self. Paul talks about three, well, four transformations, really. There's a transformation of our sight in verses 1 and 2. Transformation is seeking the things that are above, setting our minds on things that are above. This word that Paul uses for seek means to look for, to try to obtain a desire to possess something we strive for. This is a goal that we push everything else aside so that we might obtain it. This is a January 1st, I'm changing my life sort of situation. What Paul is saying here is that whatever we seek after is what we will look for and eventually what we will find. If we are seeking after the highest dollar, we'll find it. If we're seeking after the best house, we'll find it. If if we're seeking after self-promotion, we'll find it. But here's the thing. If we are seeking after the truth of Jesus, we will also find it. Seeking and setting our minds on things that are above, this is the transformation of our sight. And then in verses 5 through 7, Paul talks about the transformation of our sinfulness. You see, transformation here is putting to death what only causes death of our soul. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. These struggles were extremely rampant in the pagan world of Paul's day. These sins of impurity consumed the thoughts and minds of his audience. Not just in Colossae, but he mentions these in his letters to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, and Galatians. And if Paul wrote something to us today, it would be in there too. In all these letters that Paul writes to these churches, he includes warnings against these sorts of actions of impurity. These sins in bodily form or sins in our mind can be detrimental to the work of sanctification through Christ. Because the seeds of sin that we allow into our lives will grow unless we do something about it. Unless we move from the old self to the new self. This is the transformation of our sinfulness. The third transformation that Paul talks about is the transformation of our selfishness in verses 8 through 11. 
Transformation is, is putting away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lies. And the reason I, I'm calling these a transformation of selfishness is because these are internal. These are heart and soul issues that project, this, project that the self is more important than the community. Anger is a deep-seated attitude towards one another. Wrath is a violent eruption towards others. Malice is animosity towards others. Slander is abusive and hateful speech towards others. Obscene talk and lies are all about the language that we use towards others. These are the sinful and selfish projections of our heart towards others. You see, when Paul uses the wording of put to death and put all these away, these phrases mean to actually change your clothes. Paul is speaking here about the change of the old self to the new self as being as evident as changing your shirt in the middle of the day. So let's say you go to work or you go to school. You're in meetings with people all day long and you've got this nice shirt on, right? People are, oh, nice, nice shirt, that's a great shirt. And you go and you change in the middle of the day, people are going to notice something. They're going to be like, oh, he must have spilled food on his shirt, right? They're going to notice that some, maybe that's just something that they would notice about me. Uh, maybe you don't have that problem. Maybe you eat well. I, I uh, don't. Oh, he got wings all over his shirt. Yep. Everyone should notice. It's this changing of our clothes that everyone should notice. And if we are to put to death and put away these vices of sin and selfishness, everyone around us should notice. Paul uses these common struggles of sight, sin, and selfishness to highlight our need for transformation. Paul speaks extensively of the problems of the old self that hinder healthy community with others, but he doesn't stop with just naming the sin. He continues on with the attributes of the new self. This is the fourth transformation that Paul talks about in verses 12 through 14. This transformation to the new self is putting on Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and above all, love. You see, once we have put to death and then put away these vices that Paul talks about, then we need to clothe ourselves with or put on these attributes from above. Compassionate hearts, Matthew 9, 36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness or graciousness, right? John 1, 16 and 17, For from Jesus' fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Put on kindness or graciousness. Put on humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the point of death on the cross. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Matthew 5, 5. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Put on meekness. Put on patience. We could read anywhere that Jesus interacts with the disciples if we want to read about the patience of Jesus. Put on forgiveness. Jesus displays forgiveness in the most difficult of all circumstances in Luke 23, 34, when he speaks to God asking that God would forgive his killers because they don't know what they are doing. Put on love. 
which Jesus speaks about extensively throughout the Gospels. Here's the thing. We're not simply putting on a moralistic mask that would cover up the old self, but we are putting on the attributes of Christ that demolish the old self and embrace the new. You see, before Paul even gets to speaking about the development of the spiritually healthy community, he talks first about the spiritually healthy person. Rebuilding community first takes the rebuilding and transformation of the self in and through Christ. Rebuilding community is not making sure that everyone else falls in line, but that our hearts follow Christ. Paul starts with the commitment of total transformation through Jesus. So that's commitment number one. Commitment number two is in verse 15. It's a commitment to demonstrate the peace of Christ. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. See, beginning with the total transformation process with Christ at the helm is the first step towards a healthy community. Then Paul jumps into this commitment of peace as the presence of harmony, tranquility, and safety. The word for peace can also be translated as a lack of strife, but is most closely related to the word reconciliation. See, Paul uses peace as an avenue of unity among relationships with God and relationships with one another. The peace of Christ that is ruling in our hearts is to be the peace that not only passes all understanding, but a peace that directs and governs our hearts and lives in unity with God and unity with one another. Reconciliation with God and with others is not something that we can do on our own is why God sent Jesus to be our agent of reconciliation with God to be our agent of reconciliation with one another we need to be people that invite Jesus into every relationship that we have if we are ever going to experience true unity and healthy community Paul says that we are called into one body which he expresses more so in his letter to the Corinthians, where he talks about one body and many parts. But the same sentiment of unity and community is on display here. One body with thankfulness. You see, peace, peace is not sweeping problems under the rug. Peace is not ignoring feelings. Peace is not biting your tongue. Peace is not asking that you neglect yourself. But peace is offering the attributes of Jesus to our circumstances and situations. True peace of Christ is allowing compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love into the drama of our lives. Peace is allowing ourselves to be teachable by Christ. Peace is the freedom of not always needing to be right. Peace is the opportunity to allow Christ to be the loudest in and through our lives. When we decide to live without peace, when we decide to live without the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts is when we decide that the one in the mirror is more important than the one we stand next to. If we allow 
the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, then that means that nothing else can. So often we allow many other things to rule and to govern and direct our hearts rather than peace. This is why Paul makes sure that he includes the two lists at the beginning of this passage of what to put to death and what to put on. Because when these vices like anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lies become rulers and directors of our heart, peace cannot possibly be what we carry with us. In order to rebuild community, we must be actively engaging in reconciliation with God and one another and allowing the peace of Christ to govern over our hearts and our minds. So there's the first commitment of total transformation. Then there's a commitment to demonstrate the peace of Christ. The third commitment comes in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. There's that word again, in your hearts to God. This is a commitment to dwell in the word of Christ. Paralleling the peace of Christ is the word of Christ. The word of Christ referred to here in our passage is actually the words spoken by the apostles, spoken by Brother Paul and the other teachers that would have come who had had experience with Jesus, who had walked the roads with him, who had heard Peter and Paul teach. These are the people that, that, that are the ambassadors and the agents of the words of Christ here. But we, we have this book. We have this beautiful book of the words of Christ, the words of God through his people. We have this book that sits on our shelf, that sits on our coffee table every single day to remind us of the story of God and his love for us. See, the writer of Hebrews speaks of the power of the word of God as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of Christ dwelling richly in us is to give us life, to reshape our hearts, and to bind us together. If the word of Christ is to dwell richly and abundantly in us, then it will change every aspect of our lives. The word of Christ, this right here, is not meant to just be opened but lived. It's not meant to just be memorized but internalized. It's not meant to be a dictionary of helpful thoughts. This is meant to increase our soul every single day. The word of Christ is not meant to be informational but transformational. The word of Christ is meant to convict our hearts, transform our minds, and overflow into every relationship that we have. This word dwell means to live among, to inhabit, to move in, to be present with. And if we are continually being present and living with the word of Christ, then our community will drastically change. If we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, then we are inviting the transformative work of the word to be ever-present in and through us. 
We are inviting the word of Christ to know us better, to challenge our thinking, to grow our hearts, and to shift our worldview. When we invite the word of Christ to dwell and take up residence within us, we are making a commitment to not just read the word, but to allow the word to read us. Our approach to scripture should not just be an informational daily habit, but a means for transformation to take place in the depths of our minds and souls. You see, in order to rebuild community, we have to have a commitment to total transformation through Christ. We have to have a commitment to the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. But we must also take up residence in, in the word of Christ, allowing these sacred words to pour over us and cover us with the presence of God. So here's our big idea for today. I know what you're thinking. That was the intro? Oh my goodness, let's cancel lunch. Don't worry, we're just saving it for the end. Because sometimes I think when we, when we project the big idea at the beginning, then we might lose it at the end. So I wanted to save it for here. Not because my words are special, but because Paul's words are challenging. So here's our big idea. Healthy community happens when we demonstrate the peace of Christ and dwell in the word of Christ. Healthy community happens when we demonstrate the peace of Christ and when we dwell in the word of Christ, when we demonstrate, when we act on, when we act forward, when we act incongruent with this word and with the peace inside of us, when we dwell in the word of Christ, when we live in, when we allow it to saturate us and pour over us so much that we have to change our clothes. Healthy community happens when we demonstrate the peace of Christ and dwell in the word of Christ. See, community is truly shaped by who we are, how we've been transformed, and how we are living as a result of that transformation. Rebuilding community takes a deliberate commitment to the new self, putting to death the old and embracing a commitment to living with the new. Rebuilding community takes an intentional commitment to carrying the peace of Christ with us everywhere we go. Into that meeting that we are dreading. Into that conversation with a friend as we confront them. Into a conversation with our children. Bringing in the peace of Christ is essential. Rebuilding community takes a foundational commitment of dwelling in the word of Christ individually and together. You see, Jesus cannot be who we worship on Sunday and who we neglect on Monday. Jesus cannot be the one we run to in times of trouble and the one we run away from when everything's going fine. Jesus cannot be our last resort. He must be our first response. Robert Mulholland writes a book called Shaped by the Word. And in it, he says this, we are being shaped either toward the wholeness of the image of Christ or toward a horribly destructive caricature of that image. And when we embrace the wholeness of the image of Christ, then we are able to be an extension of Jesus in every community that we are a part of. Church, today, 
today we need to be ambassadors that not only carry love, but that carry the peace of Christ everywhere we go. We need to be ambassadors that dwell in the word of Christ. We take up residence more here than we do in our phones. And we need to embrace the continual transformation of Christ in our own lives first. I've been able to be a part of our church congregation for 10 years being on staff. Um, and in that time, I have not only grown as a um, kids pastor and family minister and executive minister and I have grown in my own heart spiritually because of the community that I have experienced in this place. Just over the last several weeks, just over the last several weeks, I have been prayed over. People have come up and grabbed me by the shoulder and prayed over me. They have cared for me. That is good community because I know that when I step out, I'm not going alone. That's what good community is. So I want to end our time today by reading verse 17 in our passage. Because I think sometimes we just read this verse. But I think this is really important as we are called to leave this place and be the community, not just be the community here. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whatever you do, Whether you're putting someone's cart away at Walmart or you're doing the dishes or you're picking up the Legos you stepped on two minutes ago, whatever you do, whether you're making plans for our city or you're making burgers at McDonald's, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is our challenge today. In everything we do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is how we rebuild community.